Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com, and here once again with Scott Eklund and Kim Reynolds, who is down in New Orleans, day three of Dogman.com at a Big Easy. And Kim, it sounds like this was like the first big day where the media got a chance to talk to both teams kind of in their entirety. You know, both teams are now down there. They're practicing. You got a chance to talk to the Texas players and coaches in the morning and then the UW players in the afternoon. Tell us, first of all, kind of set the scene and give us maybe a behind the scenes look at kind of what it takes to kind of get there, how the how the media is being treated down there from the people at the Sugar Bowl, what kind of hoops you're having to go through in order to get in touch with some of these players and coaches that you want to talk to. Yeah, they've got a pretty dialed in down here. They've got a really good staff down here and you should see with the transcriptions and the audio and just the way everything is set up. Um, this isn't their first rodeo. So these guys down here have it pretty dialed in and they're really doing a fantastic job with absolutely anything we need. I'm staying at the Sheraton, which is probably about three blocks away from Bourbon Street. It's the media hotel. And it looks like most of the people got in last night or this morning. I uh, saw Mike Varell and Christian Capel this morning they finally got in so um you know the weather down here is beautiful high 50s low 60s and if you saw the picture i took yesterday from the hotel room with the sunset last night uh it was gorgeous uh, down uh last night with the sunset and it's you know really pleasant outside again today i don't know if i'm going to be able to get outside or not but uh, yeah just they've got it they've got it dialed in they've done this before and the guy who's running everything it sounds like he's been doing this for quite some time and you know we had some things that we needed and they were all over it and they got it taken care of told them i needed a set seat in the press box is something they normally don't do for photographers they're going to hook me up on that so no it's been great down here and uh, they're really taking care of things so you know, but today's the first day we actually got to talk to players and coaches. Yep, and uh, obviously a familiar face uh, early in the morning talking to the Texas coaches and players. One of the first guys I, it looks like you got a chance to talk to is former Washington defensive coordinator, outside linebackers coach Pete Kwiatkowski. Uh, how, uh, how's Coach K doing? Coach K is Coach K. I mean, you've been around him long enough. I thought it was funny that, um, you know, some of the people on the Texas site, they don't get to talk to the coaches during the year. They don't at all. And there was some people on the Texas site because they had they've never heard Pete Kwiatkowski because they don't get to talk to him. And they said, well, he's not very inspiring, which made me kind of laugh because both you guys have been around Coach K. He's not the most outgoing and gregarious guy. But he'll he'll talk to you about football. I yeah. mean, the the thing is, what they need to understand is you get that guy off the record, he, you can't keep him quiet. <laughs> it's it's the it's the Pete, um, you know, the Chris Peterson school where he just won't talk to you very much. He won't give you a lot during, you know, outside, uh, you know, when you're when you're on the record. But outside of, you know, with a, 
tape recorder in his face or a mic in his face, he's more than happy to talk football with you. And he'll he'll talk to you about guys and tell you different things, but it's not stuff you can use. So it, it is what it is. Scott, Scott, I was going to ask you real quick. Um, you're the one who put together some of the quotes and some of the video and stuff like that that was um, put together by Kim and also from the, the folks at the Sugar Bowl. Was there anything that really stood out to you that really was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. That's something that we should – maybe put in the back of our minds as we start to continue this this preview of the Sugar Bowl? Well, you know, one of the things that I like to read is, especially with Pete Kwiatkowski, because he knows the culture up here. He knows he knows what Washington football is all about and when it's successful, what it's all about. And uh, he has a ton of respect for Kalen DeBoer. And, you know, he, he said that Scott Huff is one of his best friends. So one of the things that I wanted to kind of see was his thoughts on Washington. And, and he basically said everything that Washington's coaches have said so far, that he has a ton of respect for the, the culture and the program that Washington has going. They have a lot of talent on that side of the ball, and it's something that they're going to have to do well and not make mistakes and because Washington can take advantage of them. But I think they're quietly confident about what they their game plan and what they've got planned for Washington. And uh, Pete, Pete Kwiatkowski isn't a guy who's going to be very boisterous or a, a guy who's going to run up and down the field like, you know, Nick Holt was, you know, and stuff like that. A guy that you got to keep back off of the of field and everything like that. He's just a I don't he's a quietly confident guy who says to himself, I know what I'm doing and I feel comfortable in my own skin. And and this is what we do. And if we go out and do what we're supposed to do, we're going to win a lot more than we're going to lose. And I think he feels pretty confident that Washington is a team while they're great, um, that his team has the ability to handle them. So it's really going to be interesting to see how he and Ryan Grubb kind of go at each other during this game. Yeah, it's, it seems like, you know, we, we know Coach K. He is certainly not a guy that's going to fill up truckloads of bulletin board material for the other side. That's for sure. I mean, he's just going to keep it to the platitudes and keep it to the coach speak when he's on the record. And, and that's pretty much all you're going to get with him. But anybody who's ever dealt with coach K before and has seen him work knows that uh, there's a bit of a mad genius vibe about him. I think even going all the way back to when he was with coach Pete, um, we always felt like there was a bit of a Norm Chow feel to coach K in the sense that he was the guy that was up in the booth. He wouldn't be down on the field during games. He'd be kind of up, you know, in the clouds, looking down on everything, kind of seeing how he could affect the game that way with some, some genius schemes or with some crazy blitzes or things like that. That's kind of always been his MO. Um, Kim, I'm kind of curious in talking to both coach K and also to the Texas players. You, did you get a general vibe on, on how, uh, how they're treating this game? Cause clearly you have a pretty good feel on on how the Washington guys have been treating this thing so far. I had a couple of guys, you know, come up to me. He goes, did it sound like those uh, defensive players just thought that, uh, you know, that Joe Moore trophy was kind of BS and they didn't think it was real and not that big of a deal. And uh, they kind of came across a little bit like that. And I don't know if it's arrogance or confidence or cockiness or or what, but I'll tell you what. You stand next to DeAndre Sweat, <laughs> Trevante Sweat. You guys have Tavon, been next to Trevante Sweat. It's Trevante. You better get used yeah. to saying it because you're going to say it a lot this week, Kim. Yeah, you've uh, you've stood next to Vita Vea, and Vita's a huge guy. Uh, this He's another size and a half bigger. He's gigantic. So 
Uh, and then you have Byron Murphy, too. But I don't know. I just they say they have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder about last year's game and the loss still hurts a little bit, stings a little bit. But, um, yeah, they kind of um, I don't know if disrespect is the right word, but, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens on game time. <laughs> Well, it feels like both teams are trying to generate some level of disrespect, whether it's Texas, you know, not so much disrespect, but of trying to avenge last year's Alamo Bowl loss, or whether it's Washington just with this general sense of disrespect. We heard it from Jamarcus Shepard. We've heard it from other guys in terms of just this feeling of at every turn, they've been considered the underdog, even though they've usually been the higher ranked team when they've played games. And, and just this general feeling of they have not been taken seriously all year long and people do so at their own peril because Washington's obviously continued to find a way to win and win and win. So it, it is interesting because I do think that both teams have cause to either feel disrespected or think that they have some sort of revenge or vengeance on their minds. I, I think that that is certainly something that will play into this as we as we continue to go through the week and the more i think of it it's kind of it just almost feels a little bit like we're texas <laughs> you know we're texas yeah. um you know washington doesn't i mean washington doesn't have that attitude we're, we're washington maybe they do when they play wazoo but uh, yeah i i just kind of get the feeling we're texas so uh kind well, of not too many teams can go to alabama and beat Alabama by double digits. That that takes a pretty special unit. And so I, I'm not saying that Texas fans have the right to feel arrogant about it, but I think in general, when people do talk about blue blood programs, respective of the win-loss record and what it might be over the last 10, 15, 20 years, people do think of, of teams like Texas for sure. Yeah, like I said, interesting talking to those guys. So, um, you know, we'll see. You know, I'm just really looking forward to see what uh, that defense can do and what Washington's offense can do against that team. Yeah, and, and and going over to Washington side of the ball, you just got a chance to talk to Ryan Grubb and a bunch of the offensive players. Um, we've talked to them. We put some stuff out today uh, kind of documenting some of the things that were on their minds before they left for New Orleans. What's on their minds now that they're down there and, and the game is really almost kind of up upon them? Uh, you know, they're, they're what we've dealt with, you know, all year long, Chris. I mean, they're humble. They're excited. They're confident, not to a point of being arrogant. It's, uh, you know, it was uh, Michael was actually in a pretty good mood today. So he was real amiable with the media today because sometimes he can be a little like, well, I don't want to be doing this. But he was pretty good with the media. Same with Troy Fatutanu. I um, asked both uh, Rome and Dylan Johnson, by the way, in Michael's jacket if they knew where their names were on the jacket and they all lit up and they said they didn't, but they got to find out. And Rome said, I better be on the front right near his heart. And so it was kind of funny talking to those guys about that, but uh, yeah, I, they're just, they're the same guys as we've been dealing with all year. Confident, um, you know, really good people as uh, persons and uh, media friendly. And uh, no, it was good to talk to them. So um you know, Ryan Grubb, uh, I asked him what he was going to do <clears throat> with that big defensive line, especially when he's got a 90 pound um, 
this weight, 90 pound weight disadvantage in the middle with Parker Brailsford going up against Sweat. But he said, you know, hey, we've just got to tire them out. We've got to make those guys run. So that'll be something interesting to look at if you know, they try to roll some things with maybe some jet sweeps with Jeremy Bernard and just tire those guys out because he said that's what they've got to do. Well, the one the one thing that obviously is Sweat's calling card is that he clogs the middle up. He's a legitimate you know, uh, run stuffer. I mean, at 360 pounds, that's what you expect that guy to be. He's going to occupy multiple blockers. It's something that they, they did to a certain amount of success last year in the Alamo Bowl with him. But then when you have Byron Murphy, that guy right next to him, who was the big, the big 12 defensive player of the year, you, you can't ignore that guy either. So, yeah, I mean, he's not – Sweat's not going to be a guy that's going to create a ton of upfield rush maybe like Avita Vea did – when he was in his heyday at Washington, but Murphy will for sure, and the and their and their outside guys will as well. I, I'm just kind of curious, Kim. You know, one of the things that I think you really kind of noticed and and focused on in your conversations with the coaches and players before they left Seattle was the fact that that they already kind of had their game faces on. Like you already kind of figured out that maybe this was a little different than a normal road trip. Like this really had kind of a business-like feel about it already, even before Christmas. And, and, but now it sounds like maybe they're a little looser or maybe they feel a little bit more comfortable now that they're down there. A little bit looser, but you can still tell the focus is there, you know, and uh, it's a confident focus. Um, You know, when you take a look at the players that we talked to today, they're all upperclassmen. Dylan Johnson was pretty gregarious, and um, I asked Dylan um, if he'd ever been tackled by a guy that big, and he says, I played in the SEC. What Georgia had, was it Georgia or Alabama, had 16 defensive players in the draft? He goes, I've been hit by those guys a lot. So, uh, yeah, I think the attitude, there's where they need to be. Like they keep on saying, we're built for this. They're pretty confident, so uh, – I think everything's ready to go. So we really start ramping up here probably tomorrow with their practice. So hopefully I get a chance to go out and view a little bit of that. So we'll see. But, uh, yeah, I'm not too worried about the mindset or the attitude of these guys. They look like they're ready to rock and roll. You know, going back to the the only player that was available today that did not play in last year's Alamo Bowl was Dylan Johnson. Did Did anybody happen to ask him about – you know, either what he saw in that game or if he even watched that game as a player when he was back at Mississippi State. Is there anything that he could share uh, maybe from an outsider perspective about what he saw from that game? I did not hear him talk about that. He may have. But, you know, uh, we had three, five players for 15 minutes. So I had to make sure that I got each one of them. So he may have talked about that. I didn't hear him talk about that. But one of the interesting things that I did talk to about Dylan Johnson um, specifically was that, um, you know, with he was banged up at the beginning of the year. And then the month of November plus the Oregon game, they ran through a gauntlet and those were all physical games and talked to him about the rest and how important that was for him. And he talked about how important that was for him to get his body back. Right. He was talking about at the end of the Oregon game on his last run, you know, he was thanking the doctors and whoever invented medicine. He wanted to make sure that he thanked all of them, but he said that when he made that final run, yeah, his foot was really, really hurting at the end of that Oregon game. So the time off was good for him as well as Rome. And, 
Michael probably needed some time off too because he doesn't admit to anything, but you know everybody thinks that he got some hurt ribs. So the time off with those guys, I think, is really really important. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another thing that you have been paying attention to, and I think you've talked to the, especially the offensive linemen about, and Scott Huff, was this idea of even though guys were getting banged up and obviously during the course of a year, you know, injuries start to mount up, guys get sore, they're clearly not 100%. But you kind of noticed that this unit, the offensive line, was actually getting stronger and better as the season went on. In your talks with Troy Fautanu today, any any talk about, you know, them as a, you know, a unit, especially now in the aftermath and the wake of, of them winning the Joe Moore Award and kind of maybe the confidence and momentum that that brings to that unit? Yeah, you know, when we talked to Scott Huff about it, too, they lost guys off their offensive line. They lost Jackson Kirkland. They lost Henry Bainavalu. They lost Corey Luciano. You know, Troy Fautan, who last year played quite a bit of guard. And then you put in a freshman who hadn't played before, and you move Kalepo and Bulo to different positions, and they've been going up and down the line. It's just taken a while for the continuity for the for them to get together. Julius Bulow was out for a couple of games, and I just think at the end of the year, as big and physical and strong as those guys are, they just look to get stronger while other teams were battling with injuries. And, boy, when you're beat up and going against a team like Washington and where those guys, you know, I think Troy Fautan, who sets the tone on that, he's just he's just he's a bad man. He's just a bad man. You know, so he sets the tone for that physicality and. You know, and Scott, when you saw Julius Bulow and Nick Kalepo come out of high school, I didn't envision either one of them being as physical as they are. Do you remember them out of high school and what you were thinking? I thought they were just big guys and it was going to take a lot to pull that out of them. Yeah, Nate would have been one that I would have thought was going to be a little more physical because that was his game when he was at Rainier Beach. But he played left tackle. And I'm pretty sure uh, Julius Bulow played left tackle down at – I can't remember the school he's out of, but out of Hawaii. So, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't think either one of them would, were going to be the most physical guys, but um, boy, they've sure, like you said, Kim, they both have sure turned into that. Um, They're both uh, really good at pulling and, and, and getting the job done when it, when it comes to, you know, trying to get these guys out on, you know, out, out in space and, and making plays and, and they're, they're able, I mean, Washington's one of the best pulling teams in the country right now with the way they, I mean, you, you watch that uh, conference championship game and every time they pulled, 
I mean, they were getting 10, 15 yards. It seemed like, you know, Dylan Johnson was had had a, a huge hole to go through every time they pulled. And they, they just beat the crud out of Oregon. And I think that's going to be the plan with with Texas. But, you know, that mid, those two middle guys, Byron Murphy and and uh, Tavondre Sweat, man, those guys, those guys are no joke. And Parker Brailsford is going to need some help inside. So are they going to be able to pull as much as they had before? We'll see. And yeah. also the other thing is, is that how much pressure will Texas be able to get with just a light box, like just four up front, maybe a couple linebackers in there, but mostly just trying to play a zone behind to confuse Michael Penix and give their secondary as much help as they need, because apparently that seems to be what Texas fans think is going to be their Achilles heel on defense is going to be their their secondary. So it'll be interesting to see that chess game. Uh, that evolves between Coach K on defense for Texas and what Ryan Grubb does for Washington offense to maybe scheme against that. Yeah, and getting those guards pulling and pulling the tackles, and I think that's the way they make those Texas linemen run, and that's how you wear them down. Um, And I think that's going to be important because I think the running game, if they're going to try to run up the middle at the beginning of the game, that could turn out to make make that a really long, frustrating day for the Washington uh, running game. Yeah, but again, when Washington played Texas last year, and and not to say that last year's performance is going to be an indicator of what they're going to be able to do on Monday, but remember, uh, Wayne Talapapa was able to break that long 40-yard touchdown pretty early in the game. He was able to kind of establish, and they were able to, Washington was able to establish that run. And so is that something that they're going to be able to do? Because they don't necessarily have to, you know, go for 200 yards rushing against this Texas team. They just need to be able to show that they have enough in there to keep defenses, to keep the defense off balance. You know what I mean? Just, just enough. And and they might try to do some of those extended handoffs with some of their screen game or things like that to, to do what you're talking about, Kim, in terms of extending thing towards the sidelines having them have to go sideline to sideline and things like that. So there, there's certainly a lot that can be played into that. But I'll be very curious to see how much of last year's game plan for the Alamo Bowl ends up being the skeleton or the 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 the, the kind of the foundation of what they try to do on Monday. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, and I went back and watched the Alamo Bowl. And the thing that I picked up on that, was it 54 passes Michael threw in the Alamo Bowl last yes. year? yes. Yeah, yeah, 54 times. But if you take a look at it, boy, he wasn't hanging on to the ball for a long time. He was getting rid of it pretty quick. And you, with, with the the run by Wayne Talapapa, if they can get a couple of splash plays in the running game early, that's going to slow down the pass rush and keep guys off of Michael as well. Yeah, he, he you know, if you break it down, the 54 attempts and he and he passed for 287 yards, that's, you know, that's well less than six yards in an attempt. That's not typically what Washington's about because they're going to want to take their shots down the field, too. And so we'll, we'll see what happens, because I think both teams, honestly, in, in, in general, are going to want to make both of the both the offenses go the length of the field. They're going to yeah. want to play a field position game. Texas, because they want to make sure that Washington has to execute at a high level consistently and for Washington, they want to do it so that when they get Texas in the red zone, now all of a sudden there may be a bit of an advantage to the Huskies because Texas has not had a great percentage of 
their red zone attempts turn into touchdowns. So if they can change those touchdowns into field goals, as we've talked about a little earlier, this is something that can obviously really play into Washington's uh, hands in terms of the overall score. Because I think generally speaking, a lot of people think that this is going to end up being a shootout. I think the, the over-under, I think, is around 63, 64 at least. And yeah. I think most of the people that I've heard, at least in the national perspective, are expecting the over. So we'll, we'll see how it goes with that. Um, before before we close this thing up. And, hey, uh, just real quick, just yep. real quick, I want to make one more point. I can't remember the um, the name of the guy, but the Texas defense, they have a player suspended for the first half of the game for a targeting call. Yeah, it's one of their safeties. Derek Williams. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so um, he's out for the. I don't know how big of a he isn't. He isn't a starter though. He's more of a backup, I think, or playing the nickel for him. So I mean, he's he's an. I mean, he's a key player for them, but he isn't like a guy who's in there every down or anything like that. Yeah, well, one one question I have. I don't know if either one of you know the answer. So if there's a targeting call in the second half of this game tomorrow by the winning team, does he have to sit out the first half of the national championship game as well? Hundred yes. percent. 100 percent. Yeah. Or or, and I think it it even carries over to the next season if they lose. Yeah. As long as there's games to be played, they they have to carry the penalty over. I could be wrong on that, but I I know that it would if they play in the national championship game, they will have to sit out the first quarter or first half. Yep. 100 percent. 100 percent. Okay. before we wrap this thing up, Kim, one thing I I did want to uh, maybe expound on a little bit with you. Because um, I know in previous podcasts, last couple of days, you've talked about the interactions that you've had with some of the Texas media. And now that everybody is there and both teams are practicing, you expect the full contingent of both the Austin press and the Seattle press are there. I'm kind of wondering if you've had more interactions with the Texas press and, and kind of what your overall feel is from how they're seeing things. Yeah, well, it's not just the Texas press that's came in. It's the national press. The guys from New York are here. Uh, there's a guy from the Wall Street Journal here, USA Today. The big boys are here. So, um, yeah, it's it's national media, so there'll be a lot of national stories. And, you know, it's, I spent a lot of time talking to the Texas guys, and um, he was concerned about uh, Jabbar Muhammad stopping their um, – stopping their wide receivers. He just said that they didn't think that a lot of people were giving Washington as much credit as they probably deserved on the defensive side of the ball. Um, They asked me, you know, uh, Chip asked me, how's Washington going to win this game? I said, I don't know how they win the game, but they just always seem to win the game. I think it's pretty much, you know, a majority of the people down here think that this game is going to be, you know, in the 30s. Like you said, the over under is like 64, 64 and a half. And that's probably pretty accurate. But I think everybody thinks this is going to be a field goal game and could come down to the last possession. And there's a lot of respect by the media down here towards Washington. Um, I don't think that um, the Texas media has that same feeling of or Texas as some of the maybe players that come across like that. But uh, I think the people in the media have a lot of respect towards Washington. And I think the Texas media is also, boy, they're leery of this Washington team. Scott, I don't know if you've gotten the same feeling, but I, the things that I've been listening to and reading, it, I just get the sense that there's a lot of people out there that cover college football for a living 
that are sitting here going, you know what? We have been burned by Washington time and time again. You know, we picked them against Oregon the first game. We picked them against Oregon in the championship game. We picked them against Oregon State. We picked them against USC on the road. They're just... And I think they're sick and tired of the fact that Washington has proven them wrong so many times that they're finally like, uncle, you know, like they give in. It's like, okay, Washington, yes, you've proven me wrong. I'm going to pick you guys this time. I think I think you guys will find another way to win. And so I can't pick against you this time. Is that is that kind of gotten the sense that that you get? Because that's kind of the sense I've gotten. Well, yeah. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say a lot of them, but a few of them have definitely done that. Like Josh Pate continues to pick against him. And he even said, I keep, I, I keep picking against him. They keep proving me wrong, but I'm picking against him anyway. So, you know, he, take he it seems for, to be a slave to his poll and kind yeah. of the Vegas thing. So I, I, he, I, I would say Josh Pate is, is obviously very well respected for what he does and, and everything mm-hmm. else, but, but his, what he does in terms of a prediction and what he does with his poll and everything like that in general is kind of an outlier, yeah. I think, from what everyone else is doing. And, and for good reason, he wants to separate himself and be distinct from everything else that everyone else is doing. And so fair play to him on that. That's, that's just fun. Well, well, but I listened to Bruce, uh, Bruce Feldman and um, uh, Stuart Mandel and on the on their podcast. <clears throat> and Stuart Mandel says they've proven me wrong every time, but I'm still going with Texas. <laughs> um, Feldman said they've proven me wrong every time and I'm going with Washington this time. So, you know, it's it's kind of ba- it's kind of even split right down the middle. But I, I think a lot of people are saying to themselves, how many times do I have to pick against this team before I'm going to get this right? You know, and, and, you know, Washington, essentially what Washington has done since the first Oregon game of the season back on October, what was it? October 14th, whatever it was. um, They've basically played to the level of their opponent. And you could say that about Arizona state and Stanford, two teams that Washington should have blown out of the water and they weren't able to do it. They got one point. They got one score wins out of both of those teams. Um, but know, as we the, found, but as we found out later, the team was pretty deathly sick. Oh no, absolutely. Uh, I, I'm yeah. not. I'm not saying they weren't. I'm just saying every game that Washington has played, they played to the level of their opponent. Yeah. USC played to the level of their opponent. Uh, Oregon both times played to the level of their opponent. Washington State played to the level of their opponent. It just happens every week for this team. And if they're going to win, they need to play to the level or even a little bit higher than the level of Texas. And I think they've got it in them. But, you know, until they go out and do it, nobody's going to believe that that they're going to be able to do it until then. I posted this uh, this one stat that I saw on Twitter and I'm going to I'm going to credit it, I think, initially to um, Brian Fisher of uh, Fox Sports. He he said based on their research the Huskies are the first team to play nine straight games decided by 10 points or fewer and win all of them in the division one era, which started in 1973. It's, it's pretty uncanny. So I, I see both sides of the argument. You know, there's the one side that are like, you know, fool me once shame on, you know, shame on you fool me twice. Shame on it's, it's, you know, I think there's a once bitten twice shy comment or, or, or uh, area to this. But then I think there's also one of those where it's like, the statistical probability of this continuing to happen just can't exist, right? It, at some point, the dam's going to break. And at some point, there's a team that's going to break through and do this. 
is it going to happen on Monday? I think that's the question. Yeah, just looking for looking forward to the game on Monday. I mean, it's uh, I think it's just going to be a war. So, um, you know, just uh, FYI, tomorrow we get uh, Texas offensive players. I'm sure we'll talk to Quinn Ewers, and uh, we get Washington defensive players. I'm I'm sure we'll get uh, Eddie. <laughs> you know, full blast on Eddie. So, looking forward to tomorrow with those guys. Yeah, it's really a conundrum though, right? When's the last time you've you've heard people talk about like a high scoring war? But yet that's exactly what everyone's expecting, you know, because usually high scoring games, it's like high flying teams, you know, probably pretty soft defenses. The offenses are just going up and down the field. But yet at the same time, everyone fully understands that both these teams are extremely physical. They've proven it all season long. And so there's there is a high scoring component to this and there's a very physical component to this as well. It's it's a it's just a really unusual and very intriguing matchup as far as I'm concerned. Haymakers will be thrown. Yeah, there's no, there's no question about that. Hey, before we wrap this up, Kim, any final thoughts from you on what you've seen so far down here at day three in New Orleans? Uh, no, today was really the beginning. Um, you know, yesterday there wasn't a lot going on, but, uh, you know, it, today's the first real day and you can just feel it really ramped up today. And I expect that to pretty much be the theme of the week going on that every day it will ramp up where we get the coordinators and, you know, the players on tomorrow. I, I keep on forgetting what day it is. We get, uh, Friday, tomorrow's know. Friday. <laughs> yeah, Saturday. I think we get uh, Coach DeBoer on Sunday. So uh, Coach DeBoer and Steve Sarkeesian. So, uh, no, it's just things are getting ramp- ramping up a little bit and you can start to feel the tension and the excitement and all that kind of stuff ramping up down here. Uh, definitely. Yeah, typically the day before the game of like a semifinal game, things like that. Typically, that's the last day that any media is going to be done and they usually wrap it up with the head coaches. So, but I think Saturday is going to be a big day for you because I think that's when they open it up to everyone. Yeah. So I think, yeah. I think Washington fans should be really excited about that particular day because that'll hopefully be the day where we can talk to a lot of the players we haven't to before. And I think you even mentioned it yesterday on yesterday's podcast. You're going to be tracking down Zach Durfee and, and find out if he is indeed Chuck Norris or not. And uh, probably some of these other guys as well. I'm going to ask him a couple questions. I'm going to ask him if it's true that he won an arm wrestling contest with both hands tied behind his back. I'm going to ask him if the sun apologized to him for giving him the sunburn. And I'm going to ask when he does push-ups if he really pushes the world down. I'm going to ask him all three. Yep, 100%, 100% have to do it. Uh, any final thoughts from you, Scott, on the things that you've learned uh, from today's media sessions? Not anything that was unexpected. I, I do think that uh, – you know, some of the things that Kim voiced about Texas seeming seeming like um, burgeoning on on a little bit of uh, cockiness on their part. I think they they think they've run a gauntlet to get to this point. Not the same gauntlet that Washington has run, but they think they did that and they think that they're going to be able to handle Washington. And uh, it's going to be real interesting to see uh, what it would be nice to see what they have to say after the game if Washington wins. I don't. You know, obviously we're we're going to be more focused on Washington winning that game, but um, if if that's what happens, but um, I I think Texas, um, if they if they're cocky, I think this this Husky team has it in them to come out and really put it to them, and um, that'll be interesting to watch when when the Husky offense and the Texas defense are on the field. 
Hey, yeah. Just one more, quick, one more quick note for those who didn't know. I also asked uh, Kwiatkowski, Jeff Choate, who's taken the head coaching job at Nevada. He's with the team and he'll be coaching throughout the playoffs. So just a quick note, Jeff Choate, former Washington coach, uh, is still with the team and he'll head to Nevada once their season is done. Yeah, I, I suspect any of the any of the coaches that are moving on, like Choate from Texas, like Eric Schmidt, who will be going to be the defensive coordinator at San Diego State under Sean Lewis. I think, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, understand that there's this idea of unfinished business and, and kind of finishing what you signed up for, finishing your job. And, you know, I think any head coach or any situation where they might be moving to would fully appreciate the fact that whatever experiences those guys are getting right now in a college playoff semifinal game in a Sugar Bowl game is going to be something that they can use uh, and, and have a, as a really good experience for them going into their next gig. So I think that's really important to understand, too. So I think we'll wrap it up there, guys, unless you have any other uh, things that you want to talk about or any other final thoughts. No, check your email, Chris. I don't know if you got a ballot or not, but uh, I've got to place my vote for the George Munger Award. So uh, I've got to do that. I'll probably be yeah, voting for Linda Moore. I was going to say, so. I think I, I think I blew right through that one. But, yes, uh, I saw that one, too. Um so anyways, we have a lot of work still to do, guys. We have uh, the the Texas stuff is already up on dogman.com. The Washington stuff is going to be coming up very shortly. The podcast, we're going to be putting this up right away. And then obviously, as, as Kim mentioned, on Friday in the morning, it's going to be the Washington guys first. It's going to be the defense followed in the afternoon by Texas and their offensive guys and coaches. And so, like I said, and like Kim said, it's starting, guys. It's legitimately, even though it's day three of dogman.com and the Big Easy, this is really day one of how things are really starting to go. And now everybody is in full-on game mode, and hopefully all you guys are in game mode as well, too, because this is going to be a really exciting one on Monday. So for that, we'll wrap it up. For Scott Eklund and Kim Grinolds, who is down in New Orleans, this is Chris Fetters of dogman.com. Go dogs.